prolific producer, writer, sometime director and composer, died on Saturday the 15th of November, aged 77 years of throat cancer. If you grew up in the 1970s or 1980s, Glenn Larson probably contributed a lot to your television viewing. But Larson was a controversial figure within the industry. Harlan Ellison has called him Glenn Larson for his penchant for taking a successful motion picture and making it into a knockoff TV show. James Garner apparently had Larson fined by the Writers Guild for plagiarising Rockford Files scripts. None of this diminishes the man's contributions to television, and he was unabashed in what he did. He created populist entertainment for a medium that didn't want groundbreaking and challenging. American network television of the 70s and 80s wanted entertainment that would fill an hour of screen time, be passively entertaining, if not completely anodyne, secure decent ratings and, hopefully, sell a few products as it bided its time and hopefully ran long enough to secure a lucrative syndication deal. In this, Larson was probably one of the most successful television producers in the industry, with only Aaron Spelling really coming close to producing the kind of recycled pablum that filled the television schedules at that time. Larson's stuff was kid-vid for the most part. It had little of the humour or character of Stephen J. Cannell's work, nor did it have some of the deeper themes or ambiguity associated with Donald P. Belisario's output. But what Larson did was create shows that appealed to audiences on a gut level. There were always handsome leads and beautiful women. Acting ability was negligible. Cool gadgets or an out-there scenario and some decent stunt work. There were little shades of grey. Good guys were good guys, stalwart and true. And bad guys were scumbags, fully deserving of their comeuppance. These were not good television shows, for the most part. But they were entertaining. Larson has been called by Chris Bunch and Alan Cole, who worked with him on Galactica 1980, the best pitchman in the business. He could sell an idea to a network. A pilot script would then be knocked out, and then he'd usually leave the show in the hands of others. Bunch and Cole worked on all of Galactica 1980's episodes, and never once met Larson. This paradigm seemed to fit the man who gave an extensive interview to the metvlegends.org website about his time in the TV trenches. After working his way up with teleplays for The Fugitive, 12 o'clock high and it takes a thief, Larson started work on McLeod, his first exposure of taking a successful movie, in this case Clint Eastwood's Coogan's Bluff, a series Larson stated was initiated as a TV show but later became a film, and making it a TV show. He was then asked to work on Alias Smith and Jones. Larson admits that Alias Smith and Jones was clearly influenced by Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but as would become his trademark, he penned the pilot and left the show in the hands of Roy Huggins, contributing only a handful of episodes as writer over the show's 50-episode run. Larson thinks he was removed from Alias Smith and Jones for not being ready to run his own show yet, and the tone of the series was arguably set by Huggins, with the more comedic elements of the pilot being toned down to make a show that was more comedy-drama, as befits the producer of Maverick. Alias Smith and Jones is one of my favourite TV shows, at least for the 33 episodes the show starred the late Pete Doole, but it's clearly not a Glenn A. Larson show. 
There is character continuity. Development of the characters, and on occasion, stories about something. Larson used an allegedly real story that happened to Butch Cassidy, him being offered amnesty in exchange for staying out of trouble for a year, and adapted it to the TV format. Larson ultimately left Smith and Jones after being unable to get a writing deal on his own show, and allegedly being upset over Duell's death. He then moved over to the Six Million Dollar Man. Larson, despite some reports I've seen, did not create the Six Million Dollar Man. The original pilot movie was adapted from a 1972 novel called Cyborg by Martin Caden, concerning an Air Force test pilot, Steve Austin, who is severely injured in a plane crash and rebuilt as a cyborg to the tune of $6 million. The pilot, according to Larson, was a failure, and network executive Frank Price approached Larson to take over. I don't know exactly what it was that Frank Price was smoking, because for my money, the pilot to the Six Million Dollar Man is one of the best pilots for a television show ever made, and certainly it's the best episode of that series. There's a reality to the pilot that was missing from the series that followed, some real character moments and drama that the series followed, as entertaining as it could be, would eschew in favour of bland cardboard characters and action. After the pilot, Larson was asked to make a few more telefilms before the network committed to a series. The two telefilms Larson wrote and produced, Wine, Women and War and The Solid Gold Kidnapping, were quite poor. Larson elected to turn the six million dollar man into a James Bond pastiche, complete with a dusty Springfield theme, and it's not an approach that works. However, Larson was a guy who made what the network wanted, and he claimed it's the network that didn't like the original pilot, not him. He considered himself a guy who was capable of selling a show, making a show, and keeping that show on the air at a respectable budget. Larson left Six Million Dollar Man after these movies and concentrated on McLeod before working on a few other shows such as Switch, starring Robert Wagner, and The Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew Mysteries. Next, though, is arguably Larson's biggest hit in terms of longevity and recognition, despite only lasting one season. Taking the place on the network schedules of the then-recently cancelled Six Million Dollar Man, Battlestar Galactica was owed to huge commercial acclaim in September 1978. For me, Galactica is probably his best series. The concept to Galactica is a little more interesting than a lot of his shows, and his unfamiliarity with the science fiction genre actually works in its favour. Again, Galactica is not a great show. There are problems with the science and the characters, but the series has a great deal of iconography that is distinctly memorable, and a number of the episodes still hold up as pure entertainment. Larson contributed a number of teleplays to the show, much more than he normally did, and he has said that of all of his shows, Galactica was the one that he was closest to, and his writing is probably the strongest on this show than in a lot of his other works. He contributed not only to the three-part pilot episode, The Saga of a Star World, but the episodes of The Gun on Ice Planet Zero, The Living Legend, and War of the Gods, and a number of his concepts were reused and updated for the early 2000s remake. Galactica's cancellation led to... La- Galactica's cancellation led to Larson producing BJ and the Burr, but as ABC's ratings started to sink a little, they approached Larson about reboarding the Galactica. Larson didn't want to do it. Universal didn't want to do it. But ABC insisted and initiated Galactica 1980. Taking place 30 years after the original series, Galactica 1980 is an abomination, devoid of the charm of the original and even less attention to scientific detail. Even amongst this humongous steaming pile of dung, however, Larson managed to pull a rabbit out of the hat with the final episode of the series, The Return of Starbuck. I think this is one of Larson's best scripts. 
Despite being a pretty old idea, Starbuck and the Cylon crash land on a planet and are forced to work together, Larson does a great job exploring what happens when a character doesn't return in the 46th minute, and the melancholy feel of the show plus the downbeat ending elevate this segment above not only a lot of the work in the original, but puts it light years ahead of the rest of Galactica 1980. To his credit, Larson doesn't like Galactica 1980 much either. The 1980s led to the most successful time in Larson's career. The late 1970s saw Larson involved with the Book Rogers in the 25th Century pilot. Again, Larson only contributed to the original movie script, having little to no involvement in the series, as he was busy with Quincy M.E. 1980 also saw the development of Magnum P.I., Magnum P.I. is another of my all-time favourites, but the reason I pick Galactica as my favourite of Larson shows is because I don't consider Magnum to be a Larson show. Larson talks about it being his idea to set Magnum in Hawaii, but Donald Bellasurio has claimed that the setting was arranged after the script was written. He recalls that the early ideas for Magnum was set in Bel-Ur, and, with the cancellation of Hawaii 5 Universal insisted that the show be set in Hawaii to use the facilities already in place there. To that end, Belisario has said he went through the script with a copy of the A to Z of Hawaii and simply crossed out LA landmarks and replaced them with Hawaiian landmarks, Belisario himself having never even been to Hawaii. Belisario has also stated that only the bare-bones outline of the show, P.I. lives in a mansion in Bel-Air that isn't his and runs his investigation out of there, came from Larson. Belisario claims that the pilot script, the characters, the thrust of the series, in fact, was all his, and Selick himself added a lot to the character, removing all the perfect and bland aspects of Thomas Magnum, a name that was a Belisario invention after the original character was called Cutter, and adding these slobby human elements. Nevertheless, Larson is open about him not performing any of the day-to-day running of Magnum P.I., and he still received a co-creator credit on every episode of its eight-season run. Nice work if you can get it. Larson was kept busy, however. He left Universal to work at 20th Century Fox in the early 80s, but his contract called for him to develop one more show for Universal. He was given the idea for Knight Rider from an old episode of BJ and the Burr, and he wrote the script for the pilot in ten days, and the series quickly went into production, becoming an instant ratings hit, and holds the distinction of being one of the few shows of the time to put a dent in the ratings of Dallas. Knight Rider is probably the quintessential Larson show. Short on character development and logic, high on plot and action, Knight Rider is nevertheless a great deal of fun, even today. Larson even refers to this as a bullshit premise, and it's obviously designed to capitalise on the success of the other, the Cars, the Star show of the era, The Dukes of Hazard, with its stunt work and rather bland lead actor, but the series has a number of memorable episodes. Everyone remembers the Car, a 1982 Pontiac Trans Am named Kit, and its evil counterpart, Car. David Hasselhoff was turned into a star by that show, and in addition to playing the lead, Michael Knight managed to also play his own evil twin, Garth Knight. The show was full of the predictable tropes of 80s television, loss of memory, evil twins, corrupt land barons, bad motorcycle gangs, but this just adds to the charm of Knight Rider. Its synth theme tune by Larson and Stu Phillips is memorable and has been sampled by a number of rap songs and it's become one of those TV shows that is by no means good television but is satisfying and entertaining television. I remember adoring Knight Rider on its first run. It had high action, a cool car and some great stunt work and as a kid that's pretty much what I wanted and expected from my US imported television. 
The Fall Guy was also a huge hit for Larson in the early 1980s. Lee Majors returned to television after the cancellation of The Six Million Dollar Man, portraying a stuntman and part-time bounty hunter cult Seavers. The Fall Guy is also a quintessential Larson show, designed around using a lot of stock footage and shot on back lots. Sold on the strength of the theme tune sung by Majors, and again based loosely on films, in this case Hooper, starring Burt Reynolds, crossed with Steve McEwen's The Bounty Hunter, Larson blended the different elements together to create a fun, light-hearted series that arguably succeeded due to the time that it was aired. The Fall Guy was another show I really enjoyed as a kid. The stunt work was again quite impressive, and the series didn't take itself terribly seriously, unlike a lot of other shows of its kind. Lee Majors seemed to inject a lot of humour into this one, and it paid off with a light, frothy confection that was nevertheless a big hit around the world. The rest of the 80s weren't as successful. Auto Man, taking the idea and themes of Tron and turning them into a series, only lasted half a season, as did Manimal and Masquerade, yet all three of these series, dumb as they were, were immensely entertaining to any ten-year-olds watching. Cover Up, a series about a fashion photographer and a special forces operative who poses as her model, was hit by tragedy when star John Eric Hexham accidentally shot himself with a gun loaded with blanks. In recent years, Larson has not met with the level of success he had in his glory days, but his shows have left a legacy and are fondly remembered by his audience. Larson has said, We have made shows that are not the darlings of critics. They have found a really nice home in the places of the people we need to make them successes. Maybe we shouldn't ask for more than that. Rest easy, Glenn A. Larson. To close out this section of the show, we will close with one of the many theme tunes Glenn Larson wrote for his own shows. This is, of course, The Unknown Stuntman, written by Larson with Gail Jensen and Dave Somerville, and sung by Lee Majors. We'll be back with an email after this. I'm not the kind to kiss and tell But I've been seen with fire up I've never been with anything less than a nine So fine I've been on fire with Sally Field Gone fast with a girl named Bo But somehow they just don't end up as mine It's a death-defying life I lead I take my chances I die for living in the movies and TV But the hardest thing I ever do Is watch my leading ladies Kiss some other guy while I'm bandaging my knee I might fall from a tall building I might roll a brand new car Cause I'm the unknown stuntman That made record such a star I've never spent much time in school, but I taught ladies plenty. It's true, I hire my body out for pay. Hey, hey, I've gotten burned over Cheryl Teague's blown up for Rocky Welch. But when I wind up in the hay, it's only hay. Hey, hey, I might jump an open drawbridge or Tarzan from a vine. Cause I'm the unknown stuntman That makes Eastwood look so fine They'll never make me president But I got the best first ladies Some days I've got them as far as the eye can see Ooh-wee. 
A morning dive with Jackie Smith I crash in the night with Cheryl But in the end they never stay with me I might fall from a tall building So Burt Reynolds don't get hurt I might leave a mighty canyon So he can kiss and flirt While that smooth talker's kissing My girl, I'm just kissing dirt Yes, I'm the lonely stuntman That made a lover out of dirt Email before we close this section. This one was recorded pretty down, dirty, and quick, and is going up before a couple of other episodes that I already have in the can to mourn the passing of Glenn A. Larson. The, le- the email is from Luke Giaconetta. It's subtitled What Thoughts of Fantasy, What Memories Real. Andy Leyland in the 21st century. I wanted to write in and say how much I enjoyed your coverage of Book Rogers in the 25th century. As one of the numerous shows I was introduced to on the Sci-Fi Channel as a pre-teen, I always ordered Book Rogers in my mind as the fun one as compared to Battlestar Galactica as the serious one. Revolving the series around one character does give the show a bit more personality than Galactica, but unfortunately Gil Gerard doesn't have the magnetism or charm of Dirk Benedict, nor the chops to really carry the show, so it ends up being a mixed bag. There's a what-if scenario for you, Dirk Benedict as Buck Rogers. I think Benedict as Buck Rogers would have been actually really quite cool. Although he was probably doing Galactica at the time the pilot was being shot, so sadly he couldn't do both. The film version of Suspension, Luke says, is equal parts strange and wonderful. It's really a strange song as the theme to a two-fisted space opera, but it fits the timeline of the film's release and general tone of the movie. I never made the connection to the James Bond openings before, but it's appropriate, as this one in Butt Rogers is similar to the one from For Your Eyes Only, which came out a few years later. I do have to admit that I really like the TV intro with the slow build-up of strings before the brass that comes in so bombastically and then transitions to a wonderfully 1980s-style instrumental. The ending theme with the novel sparks falling on the camera visuals is also really nice. I picked up the collected edition of the show on DVD for $10 a while back. For that price, I couldn't pass it up. It's a series I will often bring with me on business trips. Not great entertainment by any stretch of the imagination, but usually good for turning your brain off in the hotel room after a hard day's work. Especially when Princess Adala shows up. Yeah, Princess Adala certainly is a stress reliever. That was me, not not Luke. Uh, I do find it funny that the series works best when the show is light and campy, but Gil Gerard actively pushed to make the show more serious. Whoops. Yeah. See, I like Gil Gerard a lot. I don't think he's the best actor in the world. I don't think he's the best actor in Butt Rogers. But talk about an actor completely missing the point of the show he's in. Um, if you've never read the interview in Starlog magazine that he gave, I think it was around issue 30, where he basically just slags off the show incessantly, see if you can track it down. It's on archive.org. Go and have a read of it. It is entirely possible, given that Gerard said he didn't want the show to be renewed for a second season, that he torpedoed the show deliberately, but I kind of doubt that. Luke concludes with, Thank you for your great coverage of this little bauble of a show. Amusing and fun to look at, but ultimately not worth much of value. Luke. Thank you for emailing in, Luke. I'm glad you enjoyed the Book Rogers show. I enjoyed making that one immensely. And you hope you enjoyed this little down and dirty tribute to Mr. Larson. We'll be back next time. I can be emailed on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com drop me a line. And uh, my next episode, I can actually tell you this week, because it's already recorded and done. My next episode will be about television revamps. Hope you'll join me for that. Goodbye. Goodbye.